Section six of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. The Red Cross Knight, Part six. The City of the Great King. Soon after leaving the House of Holiness, the Red Cross Knight and his guide Mercy came to a hospital by the wayside. Some beadsmen lived here, who had vowed all their life to the service of the King of Heaven, and who spent their days in doing good. Their gates were always open to weary travellers, and one of the brothers sat waiting to call in all poor and needy passers-by. Each of the brothers had a separate duty to perform. The first had to entertain travellers, the second to give food to the needy, the third clothing to those who had none, the fourth to relieve prisoners and to redeem captives, the fifth to comfort the sick and the dying, the sixth to take charge of those who were dead and to deck them with dainty flowers, the seventh had to look after widows and orphans, Mercy was a great friend of theirs, and Love was the founder of their order. They stayed at the hospital for some time, while the knight was taught all kinds of good works. He was very quick at learning, and soon became so perfect that no cause of blame or rebuke could be found in him. Leaving the hospital, he next came with his guide to a steep and high hill, on the top of which was a church with a little hermitage close by. Here there dwelt an old man called Contemplation. He spent all his days in prayer and meditation, never thinking of worldly business, but only of God and goodness. When he saw the travellers approaching, at first he felt vexed, for he thought they would distract his thoughts to earthly matters. But recognising Mercy, whom he loved and respected, he greeted them civilly, and asked why they had climbed that tedious height. "'For that same purpose which every living person should make his aim, the wish to go to heaven,' replied Mercy. "'Does not the path lead straight from here to that most glorious place which shines with ever-living light? The keys were given into your hands by faith, who requires that you show the lovely city to this night in accordance with his desire. Then contemplation took the Red Cross Knight, and, after the latter had fasted a while and prayed, he led him to the highest part of the hill. From there he showed him a little pass, steep and long, which led to a goodly city. The walls and towers were built very high and strong, of pearl and precious stones, more beautiful than tongue can tell. It was called the City of the Great King, and in it dwelt eternal peace and happiness. As the knight stood gazing, he could see the blessed angels descending to and fro, and walking in the streets of the city as friend walks with friend. At this he much wondered, and he began to ask what was the stately building that lifted its lofty towers so near the starry sky and what unknown nation dwelt there. "'Fair knight,' said his companion, "'that is Jerusalem, 
the new jerusalem which god has built for those to dwell in that are his chosen people cleansed from sinful guilt by christ who died for the sins of the whole world now they are saints together in that city until now said the knight i thought that the city of queen gloriana whence i come was the fairest that might ever be seen but now i know otherwise for that great city yonder far surpasses it most true said the holy man yet for an earthly place the kingdom of queen gloriana is the fairest that i can behold and you sir knight have done good service by aiding a desolate and oppressed maiden but when you have won a famous victory and high amongst all knights have hung your shield follow no more the pursuit of earthly conquest for bloodshed and war bring sin and sorrow seek this path which i point out to you for it will in the end bring you to heaven go peaceably on your pilgrimage to the city of the great king a blessed end is ordained for you amongst the saints you shall be a saint the friend and patron of your own nation saint george you shall be called saint george for merry england the sign of victory o oh, holy sire said the knight how can i requite you for all that you have done for me his eyes were dazzled by the brightness of the glory at which he had been gazing so that he could scarcely see the ground by which to return so dark are earthly things compared with divine thanking and rewarding the good man for all his trouble the red cross knight returned to una who was anxiously awaiting him she received him with joy and after he had rested a little she bade him be mindful of the task still before him so they took leave of dame celia and her three daughters and once more set out on their journey the last fight at last una and the knight came to una's kingdom where her parents were held captive and all the land lay wasted by the terrible dragon as they drew near their journey's end una began to cheer her companion with brave words dear knight she said who for my sake have suffered all these sorrows may heaven reward you for your weary toll now we have come to my own country and the place where all our perils dwell this is the haunt of the horrible monster therefore be well on your guard and ready for the foe call up all your courage and do better than you have ever done before so that hereafter you shall be renowned above all knights on earth at this moment they heard a hideous roaring sound which filled the air and almost shook the solid ground soon they saw the dreadful dragon where he lay stretched on the sunny side of a great hill directly he caught sight of the glittering armour of the knight he quickly roused himself and hastened towards them the red cross knight bade una go to a hill at some distance from where she might behold the battle and be safe from danger she had scarcely done so when the huge beast drew near half flying and half running in his haste he was a dreadful creature to look at very big 
covered with brazen scales like a coat of steel, which he clashed loudly as he came. He had two immense wings with which he could fly, and at the point of his great knotted tail were two stings, sharper than the sharpest steel. Worse even than these, however, were his cruel claws, which tore to pieces everything that came within their clutches. He had three rows of iron teeth, and his eyes, blazing with wrath, sparkled like living fire. Such was the terrible monster with whom the Red Cross Knight had now to do battle. All day they fought, and when evening came the knight was quite worn out and almost defeated. As it chanced, however, close by was a spring, the waters of which possessed a wonderful gift of healing. The knight was driven backwards and fell into this well. The dragon clapped his wings in triumph, for he thought he had gained the victory. But so great was the power of the water in this well, that although the knight's own strength was utterly exhausted, yet he rose out of it refreshed and vigorous. The dawn of the next day found him stronger than ever, and ready for battle. The name of the spring was called the Well of Life. All through the second day the battle lasted, and again when evening came the knight was almost defeated but this night he rested under a beautiful tree laden with goodly fruit. The name of the tree was the Tree of Life. From it flowed as from a well a trickling stream of balm, a perfect cure for all ills, and whoever ate of its fruit attained to everlasting life. The strength of the Red Cross Knight alone would never have been sufficient to overcome the terrible dragon of sin but the water of the well of life and the balm from the tree of life gave him a power that nothing could resist on the morning of the third day he slew the dragon ease after war the sun had scarcely risen on the third day when the watchman on the walls of the brazen tower saw the death of the dragon he hastily called to the captive king and queen who, coming forth, ordered the tidings of peace and joy to be proclaimed through the whole land. Then all the trumpets sounded for victory, and the people came flocking as to a great feast, rejoicing at the fall of the cruel enemy, from whose bondage they were now free. Forth from the castle came the king and queen, attended by a noble company. In front marched a goodly band of brave young men, all able to wield arms, but who now bore laurel branches in sign of victory and peace. These they threw at the feet of the Red Cross Knight, and hailed him conqueror. Then came beautiful maidens with garlands of flowers and timbrels. Troops of merry children ran in front, dancing and singing, to the sound of sweet music. When they reached the spot where Una stood, they bowed before her, and crowned her with a garland, so that she looked, as indeed she was, a queen. The king gave goodly gifts of gold and ivory to his brave champion, and thanked him a thousand times for all that he had done. 
Then the Red Cross Knight and Una were brought in triumph to the palace. The trumpets and the clarions sounded, and all the people sang for joy, and strewed their garments in the way. At the palace everything was splendid and beautiful, as befitted a prince's court, and here a great feast was held. The king and queen made their guests tell them all the strange adventures and perils that had befallen him. They listened with much interest and pity to his story. Then said the king, Dear son, great are the evils which you have borne, so that I know not whether most to praise or to pity you. Never has living man passed through a sea of more deadly dangers. But since you have arrived safely at the shore, now let us think of ease and everlasting rest. Ah, dearest sovereign, replied the brave knight, I may not yet think of ease or rest, for by the vow which I made when I first took up arms, I plighted myself to return to Queen Gloriana, and to serve her in warlike ways for six years. The king, when he heard this, was very sorry, but he knew that the vow must be kept. "'As soon as the six years are over,' said he, "'you shall return here and marry my daughter, the Lady Una. I proclaim through the world that whoever killed the dragon should have my only daughter to be his wife, and should be made heir of my kingdom, since you have won the reward by noble chivalry. Lo, here I yield to you my daughter and my kingdom. Then Una stepped forward, radiant as the morning star and fair as the flowers in May. She wore a garment of lily-white that looked as if it were woven of silk and silver. The blazing brightness of her beauty and the glorious light of her sunshiny face can scarcely be told. Even her dear knight, who had been with her every day, wondered at the sight. So the Red Cross Knight and Una were betrothed. Every one, young and old, rejoiced, and a solemn feast was held through all the land. Now, indeed, the knight thought himself happy. Whenever his eye beheld Una, his heart melted with joy. No wickedness nor envy could ever again harm their love. Yet even in the midst of his happiness he remembered the vow he had made to return to Queen Gloriana. His work was not yet done, and at last the day came when he had to leave Una and set forth again on his travels. We know, however, that whatever new perils lay before him, he would be able to overcome them all by the help of his heavenly armour, and that in the end he would be restored to Una, to dwell happily with her for ever. End of section 6 Read by Lars Rolander